And Lord, we thank you for our brother Tony. We thank you that he has come here today and that he has a word from you for us today. We pray for your blessings on this church plant that you have put in his heart in Northeast Atlanta. We pray that you would cause it to happen. And now I pray that you would anoint your servant, Lord. Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us through him. Tell us all the things that you want us to hear through him today. And we offer this time to you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Well, thank you, Tim. And um, thank you to, to Jeff as well. And um, again, uh, as Tim said, I've gotten to know them a little bit through uh, a church planning network that was actually hosted here a few times. So super grateful for these brothers and thankful for this church. And uh, it's a privilege to, to be here with you all. So um, I'm going to... Oh, yeah, we got that up there too. So, yeah, so Tim had shared about... Our church plan, our, our church plan is Joy of All Nations. We're going to be planting in what we're calling Northeast Atlanta, but kind of the Johns Creek, kind of South Forsyth area. And uh, I'll share a little bit more through the message about that. But if you're interested in us, you know, you can check us out on the website. Uh, outside in the foyer, there's uh, kind of some brochures that have a little bit more information about our church, our vision. So yeah, we'd love for you guys uh, to check us out. Well, the title of the message uh, I want to share is, uh, is from Joshua chapter 1. And it's, uh, you are to help your brothers until the Lord gives them rest. Uh, before I get into that, uh, that scripture itself, I'll start with a story, uh, a story about myself. You know, when I was uh, a sophomore in college, I was kind of a newer believer, but uh, the Lord had given me a burden for, uh, for lost people, for people to come to know Jesus. And so I began to witness and, and try to share Christ with one of my friends in particular. Uh, his name was Ganesh. Uh, we called him G. So G and I were doing an investigative Bible study over several weeks. And, and by the end of that time, after about four or five weeks, I got to the point of being able to share the gospel with him more clearly. I did what, you know, you may know a bridge diagram. So I did a bridge diagram with him and I explained the basics of the gospel message. I, I explained to him about a God who created us and who loved us. And yet we had rebelled against him. We had sinned uh, and, and we, we deserved God's wrath. Uh, but there was forgiveness of sins, eternal life through Christ. And I gave him the invitation to believe in Christ. And again, you got to remember, this is one of my first times sharing the gospel this clearly and explicitly as my good friend. And, and I'm like very nervous, very timid. And, uh, and I'm sharing and, uh, and, I, and I ask him if he wants to receive Christ. And, and, and he didn't. At the end, he, he, he didn't receive Christ. But, but he made this profound statement, which, which I'll, not, I'll never forget. And this is how the conversation went. So it's, it went like this. He said, Tony, do you really believe that people will go to hell if they don't believe in Jesus? And I'm like, oh, I was like, you're very, you know, I'm very nervous about this conversation. But, you know, timidly, I said, I said, yes, yes, G, I, I do believe that. And he said, really? You really believe that? That people will go to hell if they don't believe in Jesus? And I said, yes. And, and, and G, the, the reason I'm telling you is because I want you to know Jesus. I want you to, to, to have eternal life, to be in heaven. And he said, wow. And, and, and can you imagine, what, what was it that he said next? Right? Can, can you have some different possibilities. You know, maybe he's like, Tony, you bigot, I hate you, and we're not friends anymore. This is over, and he just stormed out. He didn't do that, but this is what he said that, that kind of shocked me and st stuck with me. He says, Tony, then why don't Christians tell more people? Tony, why don't Christians tell more people? And, and, and I was dumbfounded. I was shocked by that response. Didn't expect that response other than to give him this answer that, you know, gee, sometimes as Christians, we're afraid. And, and he was shocked. He was shocked by that answer. And again, my friend, even to this day, has not trusted in Jesus. Uh, but that story, as I remember it, uh, is a rebuke for me. And I think maybe for many of us as Christians, that how is it possible that, that my friend, for the first time that he heard and 
the gospel message, though he himself did not embrace it, he understood that this message, if, if, if Christians believe it, then we should be people that proclaim it. And yet for us, I don't know everyone's story here, but you know, maybe many of us grew up in the church. Maybe we, we, you know, we come to church week in and week out, maybe even multiple times a week. We, we are engaged with, with believers. We, we, we hear and understand the gospel multiple times a week even. And yet somehow we lose sight of this reality. Uh, and so today I wanna remind us of our holy call, uh, that we've been called to be a witness for Christ and that we'd embrace God's heart for the lost and that we would... Uh, have a heart to reach them. So we're gonna look at Joshua chapter one, verses 12 to 15. And I'll say this, it's not a traditional place to to learn about evangelism. It's not even directly about evangelism. So I will say that, but I will say this, that God's heartbeat is for the lost and for the nations from from Genesis all the way to Revelation. The whole scripture points to that, 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 that heart of God. And what we'll see in this passage, I think you'll see it, is that physical Israel is in the Old Testament is meant to picture a spiritual realities. It pictures spiritual realities. And so what we'll see in this account is that I think we'll see an undeniable spiritual principle of who are, how are those that have an inheritance to have towards those that have no inheritance. Okay, we'll see that. And, and, and the principle then spiritually is how are, how are we that have an inheritance in Christ uh, to have a heart for those that have no inheritance in Christ. And so, let me set up some context before I read the passage. We got the map up there. Uh, so Joshua chapter one, what's happening is this, is that, you know, Israel has been delivered from Egypt. Moses was just here, right? So he, he, he you know, he helped deliver Israel out of Egypt, out of the slavery uh, of Egypt. They'd wandered the desert for 40 years and now they're preparing to enter the promised land. That's what is happening in the book of Joshua. There's this interesting subplot that happens though. In Numbers 32, what you realize is that there's these three of the 12 tribes, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half tribe of Manasseh. And you can see them on the map there. They're, they're east of the Jordan River, the, those tribes in that box there, that they've actually received their land. They've received their inheritance. And, and yet what God tells them is he, he gives them a stipulation. He says that though you've received your inheritance east of the Jordan River, your other nine brothers, your other nine tribes have not yet received their inheritance. And so when it comes time for them to fight, you need to live up to the promise to fight with them and for them uh, so that they also have the inheritance just as you've received your inheritance. All right, and so that's the context. And so let me read now Joshua chapter one, verses 12 to 15. If you read your Bible, you could turn there. Otherwise, it's also on the screen. And Joshua speaks to these tribes. It says, and to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, remember, the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, the Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. And your wives, your little ones, your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and you shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. Amen. So we'll learn three principles from this scripture of, again, what type of heart are those that have an inheritance to have towards those that have no inheritance? All right, so three things that we'll look at is we'll look at the call to help, and we'll look at the ways to help, and then we'll look at, lastly, the, the reward of helping. All right, so let's get into it. So first of all, the call to help. And in here, we're going to kind of see two calls, so to speak. And I think the order is important. The first call is, is not to go and help, but the first call is to remember. 
First remember and then help. So again, verse 13 says this, says, remember, remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord commanded you saying, the Lord, your God is providing you a place of rest. will give you this land. You see what God is reminding these three tribes of is this, is that he's reminding them of their past and of God's faithfulness to them in the past. You remember just a generation earlier, they were, they were slaves in Egypt. And then this generation had been desert wanderers and they had no place to call home. But now these tribes in particular, they'd been given freedom from slavery. Uh, they have a place to call home. They have, they have peace from their enemies. They have green grass for their pastures. They can build their homes. They could raise their families. They could enjoy all of God's richest blessings. And so I think what's significant for, for, for us, to, for these tribes to remember is in their call to, to obedience to help. The first command is not to go help. The first command is to, to remember. You know, uh, Joshua was saying, remember the former slavery, the hard and cruel slavery of Egypt. Remember the difficult and dry desert. But now remember all the goodness that God has brought into your life. You know, I think for us as well, as we think of our calling to reach the lost, our first call is also to remember the goodness of God, to remember the gospel of Christ. You know, do you remember your own lostness uh, before you came to know Jesus? Do you remember the slavery of sin? Do you remember the difficult and dry desert where there was no water? And yet do you remember when Christ came to you and set you free? He gave you life and gave you a home, gave you an inheritance. You know, let me ask, you know, what are some reasons that, you know, I, I know in a church like this that you know that you should be a witness for Christ, Right? Uh, but what are, what are the motivations that we should have to be a witness? You know, maybe some of us, it's, you know, you feel guilty. It's like, yeah, I know I should witness. I'm a Christian. Or, or maybe it's fear, right? Maybe Pastor Jeff will like get in your face, be like, you got to share Christ with people. And, and, and you know, maybe if I, if, I, if I don't share Christ, I'll get rebuked by Pastor Jeff. I don't know. I know he doesn't do that. But, you know, biblically speaking, none of those would be God-glorifying motivations, Right? So how does, he, how does Christ want us to, to win? It's from the overflow of the joy of our salvation. Uh, if, I, if I were to give this illustration, you imagine, let's just see, I, I see Jeff over here. And, I, and Jeff, you, he looks thirsty. He's actually gonna die of thirst right now. And he's dying. And I, I see, I have this, this drink of water. And I say, Jeff, you look like you're dying of thirst. You know, do you want a drink of water? And I would say that, you know, like Jeff, I've not drank this for a long time. I have no idea what's in here, but do you want to drink this water, right? Uh, that would not be a very compelling way to, to, to convince Jeff to drink this water. It could be poison for all that he knows, right? So how should I at, compel him to drink this water? I'd be like, Jeff, you look like you're dying of thirst. You're about to die, literally of thirst. <sighs> My name's Tony. Would you like a drink of water? <sighs> oh, I spilled on myself there. Um, but do, do you see the difference, right? We see the difference there. Right? I, I, I might try to compel Jeff to drink something that I have not tasted, something that he doesn't see that satisfies my own soul. But, but when, when, when I'm drinking and he sees the satisfaction I have, there's a, there's a, compelling, there's a compelling witness that happens there. Right? And I think uh, for us, the application to be an effective witness for Christ is, is church, we drink from Jesus every day. Amen? Uh, Dunwoody Community Church, do you have a thirst for God? If you have a thirst for God, then, then many, many people uh, will find their satisfaction in Christ through us as we overflow the living water of Christ. All right, so the first, first point is that we remember, but, but then, then we help. We first remember, but then we help. 
We see this in verse 14. You know, verse 13 began with remember, but then in verse 14 it says, your wives, your little ones, your, your, uh, your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan, but all the men of valor among you shall pass over arm before your brothers and you shall help them. You know, sometimes as Christians, we are so content and enjoying our blessings that we don't learn how to overflow and bless others with what we've been blessed by. But the, the Bible is clear, the scripture is clear that if, if we believe in Jesus, if we genuinely believe in him, that, that it will lead us to share him with others. In fact, the scripture even says that, that the proof that we know that we've tasted and seen that the Lord is good is that we, we cannot help, but to, to, we cannot keep him to ourselves, that we, we necessarily overflow him. We wanna share him with others. Uh, let me share a little bit personally about kind of this, this passage and its personal impact in my own life and, um, and then hopefully share an application for us here as a church. Um, got this picture up here. I don't know if anyone knows the history of how, the, how Christianity actually came to India. You know, my, my family descends from India. Uh, there's a tradition that says that the Apostle Thomas, doubt, Doubting Thomas, uh, actually came to India, to South India. And so that, that, that part of the map there and it's a place uh, called Kerala. It's actually where my family is from. And so, uh, you know, actually, if we trace back our, our, our lineage, our, our family's Christians as far back as we know. And so as we think of this people group, uh, you know, th- this is a blessed people group. The gospel has been there for nearly 2,000 years. Uh, but, you know, one of the sad things I learned as I studied our history, and even as I was studying the scriptures, I realized that though the gospel had come to us 2,000 years ago, the, the gospel had not spread outside of Kerala and, and that part of South India uh, to, the, to the rest of India. The, you know, the rest of India, is, as you may know, is majority Hindu and then Muslim. Um, and, yet, and yet our people, though we had received the gospel, we had not been faithful to the Great Commission. But the last 200 years or so, the gospel has been spreading more and more. Or you can stay back on that, that previous slide. The gospel has been spreading more and more through mainly foreign missionaries. Uh, but not really through our own uh, people group. And so when I was in college, you know, my, my closest friends were mostly Hindu and Muslim, and I was one of the few Christians around them. And I felt like God was really breaking my heart for them and breaking my heart through this passage, and even through this history. And I felt like what the Lord is pressing in my heart is saying this, that Tony, I gave you and your people the gospel in India 2,000 years ago. Yet for 2,000 years, you and your people have been disobedient to the Great Commission. And so I felt the Lord putting a burden in my heart that saying, Tony, I want you and your generation to be faithful uh, to the Great Commission to bring the gospel to the rest of India. And so that's the, that's the burden that the Lord put on my heart. And now, uh, as was shared, you know, uh, over the years, the Lord has, has, has called us to that ministry. But now that, that shape of that ministry for us is, is now church planting. Uh, we're planting a church again in Northeast Atlanta. And if you know that area at all, uh, you know that there's a large and booming Indian population there. Actually, it's uh, in, in the coming area. It's the fastest growing Indian population in the whole country. Uh, one elementary school, uh, Dave's Creek Elementary, has 75% of the kids are Indian. Uh, and so there's a large community, uh, majority of whom do not know Christ. And it's our desire to plant a church uh, that would be a, a gospel witness uh, to them. And so that's how the Lord has pressed this passage in our hearts in different ways and how we're seeking to apply it now in our lives. And yet, I want to ask you, how is the Holy Spirit pressing this word into your heart? Uh, I want to show this picture here. Uh, if we could, yeah, we can go to that picture now. This is a picture uh, of me in high school. Uh, that's me over there on, on the right. And 
That's my friend, John Yoon. And then you can see the rest of the guys, you know, you can see that everyone kind of looks the same except for one guy, right? So this is a group of Indian guys. And so we're part of like kind of the Indian club in high school and we're doing like a fashion show. So, you know, we're, we're part of that. And, and, and yet John Yoon, my, my Korean friend, uh, joined our, our club, you know, and we're like, that's cool. You know, you could join, no, you know, uh, no discrimination. And, and yet, you know, we didn't really know why, but, you, you know, he, he was part of our group and and later, you know, I was not a believer and, and the rest of those guys were, were from Hindu backgrounds, actually. And later I became a follower of Christ and he became one of my close uh, Christian friends. And later I realized and understood that, you know, he wasn't there necessarily because he felt comfortable. Uh, I think he felt very awkward and out of place many times, but he went there because he wanted to, to shine Christ. That he wanted to leave his comforts uh, to give us the comfort of knowing Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, as I look at that picture, I'm always blessed. I'm always challenged, really, as I think to myself, you know, do I have a picture like that? I don't have to have a literal picture, but I have a picture like that in my life where I leave my comforts. I leave my, my, my comfort zones to, to enter the world of others so that they can know the gospel. Do, do, do we have a picture like that? Again, you don't have to have a physical picture, but do we, do we have these sorts of relationships in our lives? And I think that's a challenge that we get from this passage and so hopefully we're, we're challenged. And if we're challenged, then the next question is, well, what do I do next? And that's the next point is, is the ways to help. The ways to help. And as we, as we look at this, this passage and how Joshua instructs these three tribes, we'll see some, some commands that are given to them that I think are gonna be helpful for us as we think of our calling to reach uh, lost people. So four things, four ways to help that we'll see. The first way to help is to commit. All right, so we're called to commit. It says in verse 14, it says, all the men of valor, right? All, all means all. You know, God doesn't have excuses that anyone that has the ability to fight is called to fight. There's, there's no escape clause. All, all are meant to be part of this battle. And I think the parallel for us as followers of Christ is that if we have been given the light of the gospel, then we're all called to be a witness for Christ. And so we're all called to commit. Uh, the second thing that we see is that we're, we're called to be equipped. Uh, we see this in verse 14, it says, you shall pass over armed. So God commands these tribes to, to, to go into the battle fully armed. And it seems almost foolish to say, well, why would you not go into battle armed? You know, what, what fool would go into battle without armor? But I think many times as, as, as Christians, we can be foolish that we don't enter uh, into relationships with the lost, recognize that it is a spiritual war. Uh, and that we need to be equipped spiritually. We need uh, the power of the Holy Spirit, which comes through God's word and through prayer. We need to be equipped with, with wisdom and apologetics and strategy and winsomeness, cultural understanding, so that we can be as effective as possible. We need to be armed, get equipped. And so we need to get equipped, but also we need to sacrifice. It says this in verse 14, it says, you shall pass, pass over arm before your brothers and shall help them. What's crazy uh, to me as, as, I, as we read this passage is that God calls these three tribes to fight and he says that you shall pass over armed before your brothers, meaning you have to get on the front line of the battlefield. It, it's not even their battle. They have homes. They have family there. And, he, and yet God says that though you have all those things at home, you are to be on the front lines of the battlefield. You are to be the first ones to die. You know, I think for us, if, if we've engaged in any form in, in trying to be a witness for Christ, we recognize that it requires some sacrifice and some pain. You know, it, it is uncomfortable. It's inconvenient. You may be made fun of. You might be ridiculed. You might be rejected. 
Uh, There may be very little fruit, and yet we're called to be a sacrifice, just as Christ sacrificed and gave his life up for us on the cross. We picture that sacrifice of Christ as we, as we sacrifice for others in our witness. And so we need to sacrifice. But the last thing that we see is that we need to persevere. Verse 14, again, says this. It says, you shall help them un- until, there's a key word. It says, until the Lord gives them rest, gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. You know, God calls these three tribes to fight uh, and it's there to fight until the end, until their brothers have rest. You know, there's no quitting. There's no going home. Uh, they fight until the task is done. And if, if you look at the book of Joshua, what you realize is they, they actually fought for seven years. They brought down 31 cities before these tribes actually went home. And I think in the same way that these tribes actually fought and were faithful to the very end, uh, we are also called to be faithful for the sake of the lost until the very end, either until all the world comes to know Christ or until he calls us home. And that's, that's our calling. We're called to persevere to the end. You know, uh, if I were to share again a little bit personally, you know, uh, you know, in my college years, the Lord was really birthing uh, a burden in my heart for the lost uh, in this passage uh, in my college years and, and, and particularly a burden for other Hindus and Muslims to know, to know Jesus. And so, you know, my colleges, I was on fire. I, I was, you know, loving my friends. I was bringing them to church. I bought them Bibles. I, I, I shared the gospel with them. And uh, with, the, with this conviction or, or, or hope that the Lord is gonna bring many of them to, to saving faith. But my college years, I didn't see, uh, see those friends come to faith. Uh, my wife and I, we met, we got married. We actually moved uh, to a college campus to, to essentially do college ministry. We served a ministry called Indian Christian Fellowship. And we served and, and we saw a lot of fruit, particularly amongst Indian Christians, many of them that came from a nominal background, came to Saving Faith, were so grateful for the way the Lord was bringing people to Christ and, um, and, and raising up and equipping people. But, but we also were burdened, again, for Hindus and Muslims to know Jesus. And so we ministered, many came to Bible studies, they came to church, but, but none over those years had, had trusted in Jesus. And so, you know, as year by year would pass, I would think to myself, God, like, is there something wrong with me? You know, like, you know, maybe, maybe you have the wrong guy. Maybe, maybe I heard you wrong. Maybe this, this is not my calling. And, and many times, if I were to be honest, I, I wanted to quit. And I felt like, I just, I just, I just can't do this anymore, Lord. But, but God would give just a little bit more grace, a little bit more strength to keep going. So, so honestly, 15 years had passed. We had not seen the fruit of salvation amongst Hindus and Muslims, but again, God would give grace. In 2016, though, we met a, met a student, you know, on campus. He was a freshman. His name was Isaac. He began coming to church. Uh, he's from a Hindu background. And, uh, you know, we thought, you know, and this would ha- often happen. People would come to kind of our welcoming events that we had, and he was doing that. But, you know, he kept coming to, like, our small groups, and he kept coming to our Sunday services and, and our worship services, and he was just coming to everything. And we're like, man, this guy's coming to everything. And so we're trying to figure out what's going on. So his freshman year, before the Thanksgiving break, I, I got together with him. I had a meal with him just to discern where he was at spiritually. And as we sat down to talk, I realized that, that Isaac was in a sense trying to combine Hinduism and Christianity together, just trying to essentially just trying to make himself a better person. And so I sat down with him and I, and I, and I heard him. I tried to explain the gospel more clearly. I told him, you know, Isaac, Christianity is not about you trying to become a better person. It's not about us becoming better, but it's, it's realizing that we're hell-deserving sinners in need of a savior. 
And that's what, that's what the, the foundation of the gospel is, is that we, we embrace a savior. And as he heard that, he, he, he couldn't quite grasp it. He couldn't accept it. Uh, and, and so he went home that, that Thanksgiving break, uh, just kind of still wrestling. And so we stayed in touch during the break. And actually what happened is that he told me that as he was at home that break, that he had this vivid dream. And he had this dream that he was in this desert with his other friends that were unbelievers. And he was getting burned away, just wasted away in this desert. And he'd been reading the Bible actually. And so he had read this in Numbers. The scripture in Numbers says that you will be sure that your sin will find you out. And, he, and through that dream, that, that as, he, as he, he reminded of that scripture, he, he recognized in that moment that I am a hell-deserving sinner. And there's nothing I can do to save myself. There's nothing I can do to rescue myself. And I'm going to die. I'm going to die under God's wrath. And so he told me that story. And I, and, I, and I told Isaac, I was like, I think that's from the Lord. And I think he's speaking to you. And, and actually, Isaac, you're absolutely right. You're, you are a hell-deserving sinner. But, but I, I need you to know something else. And I, and I told him Romans 8.1 but that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he said that as he meditated on that scripture, he put his faith in Christ and he trusted him and he knew that, that all of his sins were forgiven. And uh, that Thanksgiving break, Isaac came to trust Christ. And I want to show a picture here. This is a picture of Isaac at his baptism and that's kind of our Indian ministry around him. Uh, just supporting him for that. So when you look at that picture, you know, you see just a group of Indian people, which it is. <laughs> um, but, but when I look at that picture, I, I get great encouragement from the Lord uh, to say, Tony, uh, don't give up on the calling that I've given to you, uh, that, that, that he's working. And, uh, you know, I see that, that picture and I, I think of all the tears and the prayers and the years of waiting. But I, but I look at that picture and I say, the Lord, it's worth it. And by your grace, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to, I'm going to keep committing. I'm going to keep getting equipped. I'm going to keep sacrificing. I'm going to, by your grace, persevere. And I think that, that that's the call that he's given to us here as well. Uh, that whatever he's, he's called you to, that we'd persevere by faith. And so those are the, the ways to help. But then lastly, we want to end with this, this point, is that there's a reward. There's a reward of, of helping and I think we, we see two rewards for these tribes and I think in two parallels for us uh, as we engage in this, this, this kingdom work for the lost. The first reward is the reward of being used by God. You fast forward to the end of the book, you realize that these tribes have actually been faithful. They've been faithful. You see this in verse, verse three. It says, you have not forsaken your brothers these many days down to this day, but have been careful, careful to keep the charge of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brothers as he has promised them. All right, so we see that the, the emphasis of the blessing to these, these tribes is that you, you fought alongside your brothers. You see that they have rest just as, just as you had rest. Uh, and, and they were fighting again for seven years. And it must have been just a wonderful joy to say that now my brothers have rest and I got to see it. I got to be part of it. It must have been an incredible joy. I mean, the same way that when we participate in this battle, there's the reward of being used by God. You know, I don't know if you've had the experience of leading someone to, to faith in Christ, uh, but, 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 but if you haven't, we, we should pray all together, say, Lord, give me that great joy. Or if we have that, Lord, give it to me again. Because uh, there, there, there's maybe no greater joy in the Christian life than to be part of bringing people into the kingdom of God. So it's the reward of, of being used by God. But I'd say there's another reward and maybe, maybe even a, a greater reward. It's the reward of seeing God's greatness. 
Again, at the end of the book of Joshua, Joshua gives a speech to, to the leaders of Israel. And he says this, for, he says, he reminds them of what God has done. He says, for the Lord has driven out before you every great and strong nation. As for you, no man has been able to stand against, uh, before you to this day. One man of you puts to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promised you. We see this is that God reminds the Israelites, you know, that it, it was the Lord that, get, that, that gave the victory. You know, yes, God used the obedience of these three tribes. It was important that they were faithful and obedient, but ultimately it was God who was at work, right? And if you, if you look at the book of Joshua, you see that these three tribes saw some incredible things as they participated in this battle, right? They crossed the Jordan River on dry ground. They saw the walls of Jericho fall down with a shout. They saw the sun remain in the sky for a full day so they could defeat their enemies. So that as they participated in this battle, they saw the miraculous, amazing, awesome hand of God. And it would only deepen their faith that, yes, I serve an awesome and amazing God. And their trust in this God would only deepen. You know, when we choose to stand for Christ, you know, God, God makes a promise that I will work. I'll be at work. He will do incredible, sometimes even miraculous things that will deepen our faith and our trust in him if, if we would just follow him into this great work of saving souls. You know, often I think this, that, that when, when I, I know when I lack, a, lack witness in my life, I, I think what God reminds me of is, Tony, you're the one that's losing. You know, you're, we're, I'm losing on seeing the awesome hand of God. And I think that, 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 that if we lack witness in our life, that's one way to see it is that we're the ones missing out on seeing the awesome God that we serve. Uh, a sure story, you know, when I was, um, again, younger, uh, right, right around after my college years, in 2006, I went to Assam, India for a missions trip, and uh, we're going to a place, to villages to kind of share, share the gospel with people, and so I remember being on the plane ride, and my first leg of the plane ride, I was sitting next to someone, and I didn't engage in, in much gospel conversation, and I was thinking to myself, you know, God, I'm going across the world to, to share Christ with people. And so, Lord, I'm going to share Christ with whoever I'm on the plane with next. Okay, so I made this vow to the Lord that I'm going to do that. And so I'm on a, a small plane in India, and we're flying to our location. And I'm sitting next to this middle-aged man, and he gives me his business card. I have it here. I won't read his name, but uh, I look at the business card. It says, Member of Parliament. Okay, so, so he's, he's part of the government and we're going to a place in India that's kind of dangerous and we're saying that we're tourists. And so I've made this rash vow to share Christ with a member of government and I'm kind of freaking out. I'm making excuses. I'm like, Lord, I shouldn't do this. You know, our team's gonna get sent home. I was actually engaged to get married. I was like, Lord, I, I, I appreciate being a martyr, but I wanna get married first, Lord. And so, um, and so I'm praying like crazy. I'm like, Lord, rescue me from this, this rash vow that I made. And so... You know, so we're sitting down. We haven't taken off yet. All of a sudden, the pilot says, hey, everyone needs to get off the plane and, you know, get on a bus. And uh, there's a fog that's come over, like, our plane, and we cannot take off. And so, I don't, this never happened to me before, and I don't know if it's ever happened to you, but we all got off the plane. I get on the bus. I tell my missions team, I was like, I made a rash vow to share the gospel, and I'm sitting with a member of parliament. You know, like, what do I do? I'm thinking they're going to tell me, like, Tony, that's unwise, don't do it. But they, they like, encouraged me, you know, <laughs> they, like, prayed for me. And I was like, oh, shoot. Um, but, you know, but actually, you know, it's kind of a joke. But I felt like the Lord really used that time to encourage me, to strengthen my faith uh, with, with my brothers and sisters there. So I get back on the plane. I'm still nervous, but, you know, it's not the smoothest sort of thing. But I took out a piece of paper. Yeah, I asked him what religion he is. And he was, he was a Hindu and, and 
And I just started doing the, the bridge diagram. I, I said, you know, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And, and I wish I could say that, that he had received Christ at the end. He, he didn't. Uh, he did interrogate me, but I'm alive. I'm married. Praise the Lord. But, um, but he left with a sheet of paper. He left with the gospel. And I don't know where he is, but my hope and prayer is that the seed of the gospel has been planted in his heart and his family, that the, even the government of India could somehow be influenced by the gospel. But, but the reason I share that story is because when I got off the plane, I was just praising God. I was like screaming, shouting, because uh, I felt like, man, our God is awesome, right? Like Old Testament stuff. He sent like a cloud to cover our plane so that one man uh, can hear the gospel because uh, he knew how weak I was and, and how much I needed strength. And so he would, he would send a cloud uh, so that this one man could hear the good news of Jesus. And I had the joy of seeing what an awesome God I serve. Uh, brothers and sisters, our God has a passion for souls, a passion for the lost, and, and he longs for people here to say, Lord, here I am, I'm available. Uh, he's not looking for heroes. He's not looking for strong people. There's only one hero in this story. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's just looking for followers. He's looking for people that say, Lord, I'm weak, I'm unable, but Lord, you are able. So fill me, pour out your power. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We pray that you would bless us. Bless this church, God. God, thank you that you don't look for heroes. Uh, thank you that you don't look for strong people, people that have it all put together. You actually, you look for the weakest. You look for those that are unable so that you would show your strength. And so, Lord, would you pour out your spirit here? Would you, would you open the hearts of your people here uh, that many of us, all of us here would say, Lord, here I am, use me. And would you send up and raise up then an army of evangelists, an army of people that will share Christ with others. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.